becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Don't ever touch this again. <laughs> Please. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. Hi. Hey. Welcome to the shores. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. To the shores. Uh, okay. So, I'm over it. You're over it? <laughs> oh, so quick. Oh, wait. Hold on one second. <laughs> All right. Oh. Should we start over again? <laughs> yeah, we may as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and... Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Welcome Here we are. Shores. Welcome to the shores. Cheers. <laughs> mm. uh, so we want to get into. Here we are. We are here. <clears throat> what do you want to get into? Yeah, I don't know. It's been a it's been a wild week. So let's start there. What's been wild for you? Um, man, just uh, it seems like even with COVID, like you know, kind of coming to an end, it's sort of like the, the end part of it is still here and it's like inflation and, and, you know, supply chain stuff and, you know, prices. It's, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like we're about, we're like coming out of one fire and heading into another. <laughs> yeah. But you don't know what the, like <clears throat> the severity of the next fire is going to be. Mm. It really did. I mean, a lot of people were saying like, we finally did it. COVID's finally over yeah. with the the lifting of the mask mandates on planes. That was like a big symbolic move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, that was kind of like the last, I mean, for us in Texas anyway, it's kind of the last remnant of right. restrictions. Uh, I mean, other states I think have, are having to kind of, are a little bit different, but uh you know, just having to go to the airport and having to wear a mask was just a reminder that, oh, you know, this is still going on. Right. Um, and some people would argue that, you know, it is still going on and we're being dumb, but <laughs> I don't I don't see the argument for that. Yeah, I see anymore. a few people posting on, you know, social media about like upset that the mask mandates are ending and they're going to be smart and keep wearing masks. And mm-hmm. But it seems like most yeah. people are pretty happy about it. Although I, st- I still do. I was talking to a couple people who were going to be flying coming up and at least one when I was like, oh, you won't have to wear a mask. That's awesome. And they were like, oh, I'll probably still will. It's like, oh, really? Why? And they were like, oh, just because the people were visiting. Hmm. I thought, well, we're sitting here not wearing masks right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know how that makes sense, but I'm done trying to make sense of it. Yeah. It's like you do you. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> if that's what you need to do, then do it. <laughs> so what do you think the next thing will be? Because we live in a, in a time now where there's always a next thing. There's yeah. always a current thing. Well, I think I mean, there's the whole, uh, you know, with Elon Musk and buying Twitter, that's kind of a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's not going to capture, like, all of society like COVID did. Hmm. Well, not, uh, maybe not. I mean, I think more as uh, symbolically. Um, I just think there's, there's a little bit of, there's a capture. There's like a kind of a media narrative capture that's sort of unraveling right now. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see, um, sort of mainstream me- media, I think starting to sort of backpedal a little bit. Uh, and I think even like with CNN plus kind of failing, uh, they're starting to kind of realize is like, Oh, we're, we're losing our, our listenership. You know, I wasn't fully following the CNN plus thing. What was that? Uh, it was kind of like, uh, Oh shoot. I don't, I don't know like the, their, their mission statement or anything, but it, it sounded like they were trying to be like kind of my interpretation of it is, is CNN has been kind of failing for a while now since Trump has been out of office. Oh, right. <laughs> and they like to get, so sort of like we're doing, news like real news and and because i think they had like 
a, cons- a couple conservatives and and trying to like kind of broaden the horizon a little mm. bit. So I think it was their effort to sort of maybe come back to from the sort of like left narrative and give a. But then it only push. lasted like a month, and they're shutting it down, right? Yeah, because it just didn't get the hmm. the reaction that they were wanting. Yeah. So, um, so I think there's just like there's there's this whole thing of people are just kind of just ready to hear like real dialogue and talk and and not um just talking points you know right uh, kind of you know it's just which is interesting too i'm seeing a lot more on my twitter feed anyways is like uh athletes talking about getting vaccinated oh really yeah i don't know why saying what are they saying that they are getting vaccinated <clears throat> yeah it's like you know hey get vaccinated i'm vaccinated kind of like you know weird yeah it, it, it's really weird it's only the last two or three weeks at least on my twitter feed because huh. i feel like the whole push for vaccination has kind of been over for a bit i haven't been hearing that as much well that's that's that was my thought too but that was what's so that, that was what's so somebody, weird about it somebody paying the athletes to try to like repush it i guess so yeah and conspiracy then, theory <laughs> well then even like people were like saying you know, I've, you know, I got COVID, but then, uh, but thank God I'm vaccinated and boosted. It's like, well, what is it doing for you then? Right. And I mean, obviously the argument is, is that I got it less, you know, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's, yeah, that's scientific. That's what the science says. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Do you think we'll continue to hold on to this sort of scientism argument? Trust the science, follow the science. Uh, like as we move out of COVID, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know. And apply that to other things. I think it's been overused. I don't think people trust that anymore. Yeah. Uh, unless you fit in a certain, unless it fits your, unless it fits your worldview, mm-hmm. then I think you, that will be continued to use, but it's, I think most people are kind of starting to kind of like, well, wait, wait, what does that mean? The science, you know? Um, I don't know. What do you think? I I hear it used less and less. Mm -hmm. This sort of, do you think that's the right way to say it? The scientism? Uh, maybe it's like, it's sort of just the bastardization of the science, that that cliche phase of like, it's more of like, I don't know, my point of view or something like that. I don't know Mm -hmm. how to, how to really, encapsulate that (laughs) i think it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see how the midterm elections play out Mm -hmm. i think there will be a lot of pivoting based upon that yeah like if there's sort of a red wave which is will be a referendum on the um which will be a referendum on the left because the left owns culture Mm -hmm. for the most part and if we basically say hey we've had enough then either they're going to have to sort of triple down yeah, or wake up. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see which one happens. Yeah. Definitely all signs point to like the, uh, the Democrats are, are not really leading in this area. I've right. even seen some, some stuff about, um, some Democrats kind of moving away from Biden. And, um, yeah. So on, uh, on, uh, border security border issues, security which issues. is really interesting because mm-hmm. that was kind of, that was one of the moral issues of the Trump era. Mm-hmm. And so the response to it was do the opposite because he was immoral. So to be moral, we have to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been long enough that like I heard apparently like 23 people came through the border that were known, known to be linked to terror, terrorist groups. Mm-hmm. And I think people are kind of like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah. So it's interesting to see people move away from that binary of anything associated with Trump is immoral. Therefore, the opposite must be moral. Which is kind of disturbing that Trump is running again. Did he say he's running again? That was my understanding. Or maybe Mm. it's just like, I mean, again, but he, he he plays the... Uh, the media and the narrative to his advantage of just causing a scene, you know? So I don't know if he actually actually is, but that's kind of the, uh, 
he's acting as if he's going to run again in 2024. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Yeah. I I would, I just don't want want him to. Yeah. I don't want any more drama. (laughs) You know, I think there's a lot of people who would really like him to a lot of people on the left Mm -hmm. that would, you know, Trump was kind of a sorting hat. Yeah. And so long as there's Trump, you can really do whatever you want and still be a good person. <laughs> it's basically like it's, it's permission uh-huh. to do anything that Trump isn't doing uh-huh. or to be as nasty as he is, but mm-hmm. you're fighting against something that's nastier or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to get a, a good feel for where we are as a nation. Yeah. Um, I think my, my gut is I want to, I want to say that we're all kind of, tired of all this drama Mm -hmm. i know i am Mm -hmm. i want to focus on other things like i've even noticed i'm listening to less and less sort of current event style podcasts Mm. i'm like being drawn back to issues of philosophy and theory and yeah stem subjects totally cryptocurrency yeah which is which could be argued that that is definitely um you know, somewhat of a political thing right now. I think that's one thing I've been really heavy into is the more crypto and, and financial and fiat and Mm -hmm. where the markets are at and kind of what we're, what we're looking at in the next five to 10 years. I think we're, we're looking at a huge shift, um, in how we interact with the world through the sort of information, information age. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's something really fascinating and I kind of would like to be on the, good side of this right <laughs> or the upside of this it does feel like there is potential for there to definitely be a bad side that mm-hmm. you could land on yeah i mean like today i was like explaining to allison where we we're just talking about our finances and stuff and you know obviously with taxis you always talk about finances mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know it's like if you're just if you just leave your money in the bank you know you're talking you're losing 10 percent of your value well mm-hmm. 8.5 to 18% of your, its value. <laughs> Depending on how you define inflation. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. And isn't that crazy? It's like, that means your money's gone in potentially five to 10 years. Yeah. I mean, just within a, a year, I mean, you're looking at, you know, if let's just say it's 10%, you know, it's like you have a hundred bucks. Now you have $90. Mm-hmm. You have a million dollars. Now you have $900,000. Yeah. It's like, that just blows my mind. And that's just with you doing nothing. Right. <laughs> it's like, so where do you, how do you, where do you put your money? Like just being responsible, you know, it's like, it's not about being greedy. It's like I have value and, mm-hmm. and energy stored in this substance. It's like, how am I going to carry it through time? And it still have value. Well, it's like you have a moral obligation to do it. I think. Yeah. Just like you have an obligation to keep your house up. Yeah. You know, keep that, that from falling apart and falling down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. What's that? Well, to manage your money well mm-hmm. so that it doesn't lose its value is sort of the same thing as maintaining your house so that it oh, doesn't become dilapidated. It's mm-hmm. like you have, you don't look at somebody who keeps their money in the bank and think you're, you're sort of like morally suspect. Mm-hmm. Your character is suspect. But when you drive by a house that's like completely unkept and falling down and dilapidated, you're like, what is going, there's problems in this person's life. Mm -hmm. You know, they're letting things fall apart. Yeah. It's the same thing. Oh, that's interesting. I think we've just been trained to think that the value of the dollar doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man, there was, there's some great things. Uh, Matt and I listened to uh, Lex Friedman interview uh, Michael Saylor uh, we'll put it in the notes. It's just chock full. Three hours of just... I think it's four hours. Four hours. It's really of, long. Of You will not be disappointed if you uh, if you listen to it. So Yeah. Uh, I would love to rehash it all here, but it's just better <laughs> to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael Saylor is really good at drawing connections between things that don't seem obviously connected. Mm-hmm. And he's very well versed in history. Yeah. His money and energy has changed my perspective mm-hmm. on money in general. Yeah. You know, it's like 
And I was talking to my kids about it, and I just sort of like saw the light bulb go on in their heads too. It's like you do work, and you store that energy that you used in your wage or whatever you were paid to do that. That's stored energy mm-hmm. that then you can go spend it somewhere else. Right. And I was like, and my kids, I felt like my kids got that. Money is access to instant energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you expend energy, you store it, and then you spend it or save it or, you know, give it away or whatever it might be. But, mm-hmm. but what if that, you know, it's like you spend a hundred dollars of energy and then a year or two later, that energy is now worth 50 bucks. Right. You know, it's like, that's, it's just not, it's not a very uh, good investment, <laughs> uh, a good way to store that energy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you keep it in something that, persist or grows over time. Yeah. So I don't know. That was, that's always been one concept that Michael Saylor's kind of shown me that I was like, just so huge. in, in my, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think the original place he laid that out that, um, we heard it was on the, what, what is money podcast with Robert Breedlove in like that nine hour <clears throat> interview he did with Michael <laughs> Saylor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe uh, kind of another place to to kind of go in all this is like, uh, did we throw out my uh, master's thing? Sure. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> We're kind of all over the place tonight. I think this is kind of a, an interesting podcast. We'll just keep going really until we find a place that really grabs us. And uh, if you hang around long enough, <laughs> see what happens. It might be good. You never know. Mm-hmm. Now this morning I was uh, kind of meditating, um, and uh, this question kind of came into my head. It was like, like who is your master? And that was something that kind of like kind of struck me because I was, I was I was as I was thinking like like who is my master? Is like what is like who do I answer to? And then I started thinking about uh, that there's a certain aspect of me that sort of like runs the show. It's sort of like the manager of of Michael and you can kind of hear in the statements that we make on a daily basis or a weekly basis of like, uh, Oh shoot, I wasn't in my right mind or I was not myself. You know, it's like, well, what does it mean to be yourself or to be in your right mind? And it's like, somehow that is sort of like, there's a part of you that is your manager that sort of manages all these other aspects of who you are. You know, the sad part of you, the angry part of you, the, uh, get shit done part of you. You know, it's like somehow there's a part of us that kind of like manages those things and all these other parts of us kind of listen to it most of the time. And, and when one of us, one parts of ourselves kind of get out of hand, we kind of like, it it runs its course. And then the manager comes back in and kind of picks up the pieces and (laughs) puts us back together and, Uh and move forward, you know? Um, so I was thinking about like, okay, who is this manager or who is this master that I, that that's kind of running the show for me, you know? And, and I, I was thinking about, it, I was just like, you know, it's like, who do I, but then also that's like, who do I want to run the show? And the part that part of me was just like, I want a servant to run my, to run my show hmm. and not a servant to myself, but a servant to my higher person, the person who I could be mm-hmm. like the, the part of me that could step out of the way and usher in, something greater, you know, where, you know, sometimes with a tyrant or a master, they don't want to get out of their way. They want to run the show and anything that comes in the way of them being able to run the show, you know, they either kill or, or, Hmm. uh, limit or whatever it might be. And so, so just kind of like, I just started focusing in on like, okay, who is that part of me that sort of like wants that to serve the greater the greater good or the greater me in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of these things just started to kind of like make sense to me as I was kind of meditating on it at the time. And, and, um, but then I thought about like, well, what's the, what's the greatest and something probably we talked about in the last podcast or two podcasts ago. And sort of like, I mean, that's kind of where you get the, the concept of, of God or this, you know, it's like in Christianity, it's also like the spirit is something that's beyond your understanding that you sort of serve, but you don't understand it. 
in the way that you are in your current self, you serve it in that way. But as you get to know it better, then you, you, you change and manifest differently, you know, but you're serving something higher than who you are today. Um, so I don't know. That does something that kind of like, there's more of maybe the negative aspect of it that kind of stuck out to me. It was sort of like, um, you know, it's like, I kind of know who I am and I'm going to keep myself within these parameters. And that part of me is going to keep everything safe and tight and not let anything else come in. You know, Hmm. does that make sense to you? I mean, it's very esoteric and, and kind of, uh, Co-spiritualist was it? <laughs> Conspiritualist. Conspiritualist, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so it reminds me of one of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules, which is mm-hmm. treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Oh, interesting, yeah. And I think even the, <clears throat> like the fact that that sentence makes sense mm-hmm. is really interesting. Because how do you treat yourself like someone else? Yeah. But you know that you can, because that makes sense. And I think the reason it makes sense is that one of the key aspects of consciousness is that our consciousness does sort of sit from some sort of perch observing us. Like you observe mm-hmm. yourself part of the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're in a flow state where you're not observing yourself. Um, but you have the capacity to the ability to, and so you could say, well, like, who are you, which, you know, are you your consciousness or are you the part of you that acts autonomously in the world or, or are you the part of you that gets angry Mm. blindly or, you know, uh, love sick or sad and depressed or, manic with hope and ideas like you know that all of those things are somewhat disparate it's like you're this loose collection of personalities Mm -hmm. and there's one that sits above them all that kind of is able to differentiate and observe so are you that one and i don't think any of those answers in in the positive would be satisfactory because all of them can go wrong yeah and you know that there's some part of you that exists primarily in potential in the future. And so I, I really like your formulation that, well, if you were to say that any one of those parts of you is the master, well, you're kind of screwed then mm-hmm. because that isn't who you could be. And which means that you, all of you in the present is lacking and flawed, Mm -hmm. including whoever would be the master. So Mm -hmm. you need all parts of you to be oriented in service of the person you could be, which is the same thing as Peterson's rule. Treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. What does it mean to help someone? Mm -hmm. It's to, it's to assist in them achieving something which hasn't yet been achieved. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they didn't need the help or the help wasn't valuable, well, the fact that it's self-evident that they need the help and the help is valuable means that there there is a version of you that you could be that's better than now. And so everything should be in service of that. But what is that? Mm -hmm. It's you. Yeah. I think it's a hard thing because, like, I mean, again, it's like you could almost see it as that part that you want to follow is the most integrated part of you. And it's like the most integrated part of you sees in the best way possible all the different aspect of uh, different aspects of who you are. You know, I think and it's like we almost we almost want to be sort of ruled by the most integrated person. Again, that's kind of like wisdom. Like, you know, when someone's older and and wise, it's like, it's like they're able to sort of see all the different aspects of how life works and, and can kind of put the pieces together. You know, I think we do have that person inside of us, you know, 
which is kind of like, again, spirit or even logos, you know, it's like Hmm. sort of like this, this thing that's united and that's kind of what we seek within ourselves. And we know when we find it too, no matter how uh, insufficient it is, because it's always insufficient, but it's sort of like, it kind of gives us a taste of something that's, that's higher and bigger as far as like what that integration could look like. When do you feel that, that integration, <clears throat> that taste? Yeah. Well, I think it's that part whenever you do. It's like, I, again, I think there's like a lot of religious language around that. When you experience that, it's like you have grace for those p- parts of you that are not as developed, you know, you're able to see that and, and understand that, you know. Uh, and you're able to cry and, and mourn in that area. You know, it's like, um, you're also that part of you that can get excited for the things that are, are exciting to you and, and sort of allow that to be. Hmm. So I feel like, I feel like there's that, how did you say, I, I was thinking like that, that's, that's when I see the integrated part of me is like, is like when it kind of, kind of behold and be gracious and, merciful and and also be a judge of like yeah michael that was not so good and then the other part of michael goes you're right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like <clears throat> but it's not in a judgment way where it's sort of like guilt and shame like that's a different um a different aspect but it's almost like there's a part of me that can answer that voice and say you're right you know mm. damn it sucks. <laughs> but it's like use the word grace. It's there's a forgiveness there or a redemption maybe mm-hmm. involved in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, what is it? Uh, shit, I'm gonna get this wrong, but like mercy is with is with is the, is the withholding of judgment. Uh, grace is giving something that you don't deserve, you know? And so I think there's that part too, is like, you know, having mercy and grace with yourself is like, you know, mercy is not maybe judging yourself in a way that you might deserve, you know, it's like, and grace is sort of giving that, um, giving something to that part of you that, um, dude, I told you, I think I totally screwed the whole grace and mercy <laughs> thing up. <laughs> uh, Well, it's funny. I mean, even like, like what is it inside out? You know, it kind of uses like the personalities of like anger, sadness, mm-hmm. joy. Yeah. It's just such a, it was such a great kids movie to kind of show what goes on inside of us. You know, obviously we're just using four, you know, emotions, you mm-hmm. know, really that's, that's kind of more the emotional aspect, which were also more than just emotions. But I thought they did a really great job of how, there's all these conflicting thoughts and ideas, but I could also see that as, you know, personalities or people that mm-hmm. also live within us. And you can kind of, I mean, to me, it makes sense why people can be schizophrenic or multiple personalities, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I, yeah, it does make sense. Um, because I have a, I have a slightly different personality for instance, when I'm feeling short tempered, hmm. particularly if I'm feeling short tempered and emboldened, I will have a different personality than I have when I'm feeling sort of well rested and <clears throat> patient. Yeah, not totally. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. you could say those are two different people. Hmm. And obviously, there's they're more the same than they are different mm-hmm. maybe, but I could see how those could become different enough to where it does seem like something you would call schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe why, or one of the reasons why I think it's so important to be truthful because whenever you tell a lie, the first person you have to lie to is yourself. Hmm. And if you can't be truthful to yourself, or maybe you could say if the, 
if the personalities that constitute who you are can't be truthful to one another, then they separate even further. Hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like even like we were talking about before the podcast, like the comic book characters, there's a lot of demonstrations of that. Um, was it Dr. Oz and the Green Goblin? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the Green Goblin was there to protect Dr. Oz, you know? Uh, I, I don't know if that's just Osborne. Yeah, Osborne. Uh, you know, and, and that was one of the things that, as they're kind of going back and forth between themselves, it's like, you know, the Green Goblin's like, I was there and I protected you. You know, it's like, <clears throat> and, and it's something that the doctor couldn't handle. And so there was a part of him that kind of stepped up and become became imbalanced to sort of deal with it. You know, even with the Hulk and Bruce Banner, there's that same that same idea. Um, Two Face uh, in DC. Um, so it's just interesting, like you know, traumatic events can sometimes kind of splinter us into you know different mm-hmm. aspects. You know, which is actually, I think evidence for the divinity inherent in in each human individual Hmm. because to the extent so like did you ever see me myself and irene jim carrey movie from late 90s early 2000s yes i I don't uh, remember very renee zellweger in it Uh really funny it's the story jim carrey plays this like um like his his primary personality Mm mm-hmm So he's got multiple personalities and his primary personality is he's just the nicest guy, Mm -hmm. but he's pathologically nice. Everyone's always taking advantage of him and running him over. And he's always just saying thank you for it. And, and he's always getting screwed. Mm -hmm. And so finally he develops this alternate personality as a response to this. And this alternate personality is like, very suave and overbearing and knows exactly what he wants and always gets what he wants, mm-hmm. you know, and Jim Carrey plays it brilliantly. Oh yeah. He's and, great. But I think that the reason that that story makes sense is that like to the extent that your, the failures of who you are, the failures of your personality, the failures of your, willingness to engage forthrightly in the world, whether that's being like overly pathological, nice, pathologically nice, or, you know, maybe even the overbearing and potentially abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, we know, or at least believe that there's some other repressed aspect of that person that would like to fight for the part that's out of balance. Mm -hmm which is, you know, which is to say that there is some such thing as being in balance and, and to be in balance in the ultimate sense is, well, it's like redemption. Mm. It's like heaven. I was thinking through, so we just came through Easter last weekend and I was thinking through that whole story and, you know, what it, what it might mean and thinking about this idea of divinity and redemption. And I thought, isn't it interesting that we believe that everyone is capable of redemption, whether you're religious or Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Like there isn't anything anyone can do in which we, without any hesitation, say, take that man's life take that woman's life. They're done. They're cut off from living, you know, which is why the death penalty is a controversial topic because we believe somehow inherently that there isn't anything anyone could do that would justify the taking of their life. Mm -hmm. And I think that we believe that, or at least act like we believe that is because no matter how evil you can be, we believe there's something still there worth turning around, worth saving. Mm -hmm. You know, even if we think the likelihood that we could save it or turn it around is incredibly low, it's never zero. Mm -hmm. 
Which is interesting because that is a very, I would say, Western idea, though, too, is like that sort of <clears throat> maybe even Christian idea of like maybe, uh, maybe uh, I guess even just Judaism and Islam and Christianity kind of share that same idea of like there's something divine about the individual. Because mm-hmm. you know? um, if you don't have that, aspect of something divine about the individual it's like you know they're broken they have bad genes or their chemistry is wrong right and it's like when you define somebody by their by their biology yeah and the western world has rejected that Mm -hmm. i mean that that's what we found so abhorrent for example about world war ii and nazi germany and the um sort of like eugenic aspect of that. Mm-hmm. We just found that intolerable mm-hmm. to say that any human being is, is like wrong at their core, broken at their core and worth <clears throat> getting rid of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. Just because of a external factor of whether you're, you know, Jewish or Polish or, you know, any, any sort of like qualification mm-hmm. when at your core, you're, you're a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how did we get to this? I don't know. <laughs> That's like talking okay, about we, multiple. We were, we, we were well, maybe we could kind of go back to the idea of um, like, who is your master and mm. the idea that you should be, that you should arrange all aspects of yourself in service mm. of that, that all aspects of yourself should be servants even to yourself, to your higher good, mm-hmm. your higher potential. It's not sufficient to the growth that you would like to see to assign yourself or any aspect of yourself as the master over yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so hard. It's like, it's like I don't even know how you do that without sort of like some sort of external reference point. Like I think that's why religion has served such a great um, sort of reference point for, you know, because again, you just have to define some sort of system in order to validate or. Um, put parameters around I guess I just don't see any other way around it it's like you have to have some sort of divineness like uh, external reference point you can't have a reference point that's internal that tells mm-hmm. you what is good or what is bad mm-hmm. it's like uh, and again I think that's something that you do determine within yourself but it's always there's some there it's like it's always seeking something outside of ourselves to have sort of i guess kind of validate that or um hmm. so maybe here's a question mm-hmm. <clears throat> how do you determine what is good and what is bad it's a really good question is it self evident is it dictated? Is it simply felt and learned? <clears throat> I, I would kind of go with it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I so, guess I just said the same. Those three things are the same thing over different timescales. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a, there's a stuff that's passed on to us by our you know culturally you know mm-hmm. that have that teach us what is good and what is evil. You know, right. Because how long does it take to learn something? Mm-hmm. You know, if it takes 30 years, wouldn't it be great if the last person who learned it could just tell us and then we didn't have to spend the 30 years? <laughs> totally. But then that feels like you're being dictated to and there's something that we really don't like about that. Uh-huh. That's the, you know, because that's that feels like the dogma and arrogance of tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's something you and I have been talking about for the last for the last three or four episodes. I think is like there's certain things that are passed on to us that are helpful and useful, 
And there's other times when those things need to be challenged. And there's certain aspects that it's kind of taken on um, a little extra weight that we didn't, that's not really a part of it. And it kind of burns that off, you know, like, um, uh, you know, something that could have been good. You know, can I go back to, again, you know, when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath is, a man is for the Sabbath, not the Sabbath for a man. Ah, shit. I probably got that one wrong too again. <laughs> I got the the Sabbath one. is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Exactly. Um, and so we kind of turn these in things into rules rather than like they're, they're here to serve us, not for us to serve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it kind of does seem like it's like all the above <clears throat> over different time scales, like you were saying. Well, so what do you make of, so Nietzsche's claim that God is dead was a, in his estimation, a big problem mm-hmm. because he says that man cannot create his own values. Yeah. So what do you make of that? If man can't create his own values, then where are the values coming from? Well, uh, that's a difficult, uh, depending on where you want to go with it, it's like, you know, one part is is that it's sort of written into our like inner being. You know, it's like we all sort of have a, a compass, and we can kind of tell when when someone's not acting according to that compass. You know, and I think that's kind of we mostly attribute that to something something divine that has kind of. You know, like in Ecclesiastes, it talks about how God has written eternity on the hearts of men. And I think that's probably the closest thing to really grab that idea that there's something sort of written on us, you know, whether it's culturally throughout the years or, um, I don't know, maybe a part, I, I would probably imagine a lot of it is culturally, but, but how an effective society and how to be in community with other people, there's a certain amount of things you have to sort of respect. And I think the sovereignty of the individual, and that has to be like a high, a highest value because, uh, you know, sort of in Christianity where it's like God has a relationship with the individual and the community, you know, but the individual is something that kind of comes first. And the community is something that is a part of that sort of like, that individual relationship expressed together, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that idea and that concept has been so valuable to, um, to maybe even some of the peace and prosperity that we have experienced into the 21st century. Mm. And there's plenty of examples of where that's not, but then there's plenty more examples of where that was not the case prior to the 21st century. (laughs) And we can, we can get into a lot of those. Uh, but it's like, there's more people living prosperously than we're living, you know, 200 years ago or a hundred years ago, as far as like, food availability and and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. I don't know. What what do you think about the, your question that you asked? (laughs) Whatever that question was. Well, if man can't create his own values, then where did Mm -hmm. the values come from? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I find that Nietzsche was, (laughs) so far on the edge of something that it's hard to make sense of almost everything that he said. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's, I don't think that's me personally. I'm making an observation mm-hmm. like anyone who ever talks about him or writes about them, they're struggling to like, what the Always. fuck is he talking about? <laughs> something seems right there, but I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think at least part of it is that we are locked into a timeline like we live, we exist on this rail of time and we only exist for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And how much can you learn in your short period of time? Yeah. If you're left to learn everything yourself, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I think sailor was making this point. Like 
figuring out how to make steel was a massive transformative element of, of what brought us into modernity and brought us into this like incredibly exponential improvement in the quality of life. But like take any individual, you know, take you and drop you 300 years in the past and go, Hey, figure that out. Like you <laughs> so, can't do it. Uh-huh. Uh. Like so much of what we have in life we can't reproduce it. It was given to us by those who came before us. Yeah. And so it's like that thing, like, well, how long does it take to learn whether or not something's good or bad? And, you know, if it takes 30 years, wouldn't it be better if somebody could just tell you rather than you have to go figure it out because that's 30 years wasted in your, you know, fairly short life. I mean, I heard somebody say that the founding fathers, like at that time period in America, the average life expectancy was like 36 years. Jeez. Both of you not be dead right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, you know, it wasn't until like, I think the early 1900s that we got up to about 50 years and it's only recently that we're talking like 80. Yeah. And even that is like astounding. We've more than doubled the life expectancy in what, 220 years. Mm-hmm close to 250 years. Um, so, okay. You don't know what you value because you can't figure it out. You don't have enough time. You can't run in, in, as many experience. You can't run enough experience, sorry, experiments to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so you have to rely on what's passed down to you. And, well, how do you vet what's passed down to you? Hmm. You know, in a lot of ways you don't, you take it for granted. And sometimes we have cultural revolutions Mm -hmm. in which we say we're sick and fucking tired of what's being passed down to us. And it's obviously being manipulated to control us. Mm -hmm. And so we throw it off and we got to start over. And that's an incredibly, incredibly chaotic period. Yeah. Um, and then generally what happens is people rediscover the same thing Mm. or at least most of the same thing with slight, slight alterations and hopefully improve it. And so how do you create your own values? Well, you don't, you, you're just, you're adding to the wisdom of a set of values that began long ago. Mm. And where did they begin? I mean, maybe you could say it was all, it was all just simply learned over thousands of years of evolution. Or you could say it was given to us by God. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that those two statements are functionally any different. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure that the implication of either would be different. So, Maybe what Nietzsche was saying when he said God is dead is, well, we're all behaving as if we're on our own. And what is it that, um, so in the brothers Karamazov, um, Ivan who's one of the brothers is making a claim to his, his brother Alyosha. And he says, if, if, as you say it, it's like, if there is no God, or he might say, if man is not immortal, then anything should be allowed him. Mm. Meaning do whatever you want. Cause it doesn't matter. You're never going to figure it out. It's like, that's a very nihilistic statement. Mm-hmm. Doesn't play out over time. You, you won't be able to play it out over time. Mm-hmm. You'll never learn all of the things that are good and bad. You'll never learn what's what matters if there is no God or immortality. Mm -hmm. So he's saying you either need infinite amount of time or you need God. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have one or the other, then the whole, the whole experiment isn't worth running. Mm -hmm. So just do what you want to do. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of an airtight argument. I think 
and maybe very kin to what Nietzsche said. Yeah, it's it's an airtight argument because like even someone might decide to do try to do good. You know, it's like I want to do good in my life. You know, it's like and what is that? It's like I don't know. It's like I see when I act this way, therefore this certain result comes out. You know, I think there is a certain um and I think that's that's something that a lot of I think people experience when they come out of like really intense uh cultish maybe even religious experiences it's like it's like no i'm going to choose to do good but they never really go past that it's more of like a rejection of some sort of you know negative religious experience uh but then they choose to do good in their lives and i think that's something that is it's hard to well well, why is it good that question still comes out. It's like, you know, why is it not good to just be selfish and do whatever, uh, whatever I want? You know, it's like, because that's, there's nothing else to this world. Hmm. Well, and that all reminds me of, uh, the Chesterton fence analogy, hmm. which is that if you're walking through a field and you come across a fence that's in your way and it's annoying, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to tear it down unless you can explain why it was put up in the first place. Totally. And I think so much of our values and our definitions of what is good and bad, like you, you, you monkey around with that at your own risk mm-hmm. because you don't know what's on the other side of it. Yeah. Like you don't know what it took to learn that. And if you throw it out, you have no idea the trouble you're in. Mm-hmm. And yet also, you know, the values become stale. They become dogmatic. Mm -hmm. They're in constant need of renewal. They're like a house. You know, you don't want to just tear down the house because it's annoying. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know what it's like to not have cover over your head. So keep it up. Maintain it. Renew it. Remodel it. Change it where change is good. Mm -hmm. But don't. don't throw it out because what you take for granted seems arbitrary. Yeah. And not only arbitrary, but arbitrarily imposed through power. Mm-hmm. And don't make the mistake of seeing the arbit, what seems like the arbitrary nature of structure and tradition as an imposition of power. I think that's incredibly naive. Hmm. <laughs> I was just thinking like, I was like, I, f- I feel a little sloppy with my words right now. Like, you know, I think we're trying to like grab onto something that is a little bit more esoteric, you know, as far as like, because it's like, it's like, I, I feel like there's a sort of like tension between, You know, we do see like uh, kind of like what you were saying is like there's a there's a structure here and there's so much good about this structure and it serves a purpose. And a lot of times we don't understand that. Understand what that purpose serves us until it's gone. And maybe even that's what Nietzsche was saying. It's sort of like, you know, God is dead is like, but that structure has served us so well for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's like what happens when that dies. And so I, I just feel a little a little sloppy with like, why is that so important? And I think that's something where a lot of us, you know, whether you're atheist, agnostic, you know, uh, monotheist, whatever, whatever it might be. It's like, it's like, we're all trying to grab hold of something that sort of maybe justifies what that is that we're trying, that we, that we, that we all experience that kind of, Hmm. Um, is that sort of higher self or being that we're being called into, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like it, it, it feels sloppy a lot of times in that, in that sort of like, what are we being called into? And then how you go about that? Does that make sense?
No. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, the, but the thought I was having as you were saying that is that the part that did make sense is... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I, okay, if... It's like if we take take for granted that the core presuppositions of our Western society are rooted in Judeo-Christian values Mm -hmm. derived from, let's say the texts that undergird that belief system, Mm -hmm. which I think is true and not really arguable. Mm -hmm. You can feel however you want to about it. You can hate it. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say you, you throw all that out. You say, you know, look, I'm not going to believe in some, you know, fairy tale God in the sky who's responsible for all this. Yeah. It's nonsense. So I'm going to be an atheist. Well, you, you are then obligated to explain the existence of all the people who do believe that. Mm -hmm. So then you have to look for, um, the reasons for, for all of that. So you might say, well, religion is the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. It's about control or useful fiction. You could say it's useful fiction. You could say even the fact that they believe that God is male is suspect. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a tool of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go down this road. And, you know, maybe you have to do the the same thing in the other direction. So if you are religious, you are Christian, let's say, Mm -hmm. well, how do you explain the atheist? You know, and I think that one's harder because we're not as, we're not as used to that argument or it seems very regressive or bigoted even. Hmm. It's like, well, they just don't believe they're sinners. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh-huh. there's all this shorthand. Yeah. We don't know how to make the argument for why it's not good to not be a believer because culturally speaking, that's been at the heart of our culture for so long mm-hmm. that that argument has n- hasn't been necessary. Oh, interesting. Okay. I see where you're kind of going with this, but let's, 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 let's go that direction. I think that's really fascinating. Like it's, it's like, how do you, so how do you sort of unite? So, okay. So you can see like how you would unite somebody under a religion, you know, it's like, whether it be Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, or Christianity or whatever it might be. Cause there's a certain precept. There's a certain, uh, sort of like end goal or, or something that is truth outside of yourself. But if you don't have something that's true outside of yourself, you could say science, which I've, I've heard that a lot too. Um, like sort of science is my God. It's like, well, what does that really mean? I think that's a, cause science is not something that is, it doesn't really, it, it just tells you how things work. It doesn't tell you what things are or what they are, why they, why they are there. So you really just can only make statements about the world. It's like, you know, like love or something like that. Like science says that it's chemicals and you know, it's like all, you can kind of go into this whole process of a biological response, a psychological response, but it doesn't really, there's not that part of, well, I can't tell you what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. What is that argument? You can't derive an ought from what an is. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And science isn't truth. Yeah. Science is a method. Mm. Which points at truth. Yeah. But it isn't truth itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I think embedded in science is that is this idea that the truth exists outside mm-hmm. to be interacted with, to be observed, but it can't establish value. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it can't establish value in that. And and, and even like how we actually act, you know, it's like you don't fall in love with somebody. You might retroactively or, or preemptively explain what love is, but <clears throat> if you're doing that in the moment, you're not really in love. You know, it's like because it's, it's it kind of goes outside those parameters of like, well, baby, I really love you because, man, my chemicals are really just... <laughs> Right. all about you right now oh, doesn't that just like yeah like just kills the vibe right yeah. very few if anybody even people that might subscribe to that viewpoint it just it's just not you'd be totally turned off yeah <laughs> totally i am having a chemical reaction <laughs> uh-huh. and that's all it is that's all it is yeah oh okay well <laughs> guess we're done here yeah exactly but i think there's a part two is like i mean something that has i mean these are all the difficulties i think we have as as humans is sort of like we do we need story and it's not just that we need story is that we act out stories you know even though we might be able to describe what happens physically when you're in love maybe certain parts of your brain or hormones or whatever kind of happen but that's not really what is happening you know that might be physically what is happening but there's also like you're weaving a story into your into your inner mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. that you're acting out with this with this other person and somehow these stories are coming together in such a way that it's magical almost mm. it's almost like you're acting out a story that neither of you can necessarily explain but somehow you're doing it together and obviously you can sit down and try to write that out, but you just can't capture that, you know? And I think that's, I think that's where religious or spiritual aspects capture that part better than, um, a scientific viewpoint does like a scientific viewpoint does give you certain aspects of it, but story and symbolic images I guess better or help capture it more wholly in a way that you can't, Hmm. um, you're incapable of doing it through uh, a scientific way. Hmm. And that's actually more true, you know, because that's the great thing about symbols is like they, Hmm. they capture more, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's a really interesting question. Like, can you explain love scientifically? Mm hmm. And there's like the romantic portion of love, romantic love, mm-hmm. which I think you'd be hard pressed to do, but maybe you could come up with something that's hard to argue with. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking as you were saying that, like the story of Bra- uh, the movie Braveheart, mm-hmm. William Wallace is compelling, right? Inarguably. Yeah. <clears throat> At the end of that movie, they're disemboweling him alive. Mm-hmm. And yet he is, like, that's the, the shining moment expression of who he is. Mm-hmm. Because despite that, even as he's being torn apart, mm-hmm. he has love for his country, his wife who's been killed. Mm-hmm. You could say love for justice. I don't know what it is, but it's love. Well, he yells at freedom at the end. Yeah, freedom. <laughs> yeah. So can you explain scientifically why he would do that? Mm-hmm. And even more scientifically, why we would care to watch it mm-hmm. and to continue to watch it 30 years later yeah. or to continue to talk about it. Like there's something outside science. That's why science exists. Well, even the, even at the root of like, you know, most scientists, there's a curiosity. Like what is out there? Like what can I grab hold of that <laughs> might explain some aspect of this? Mm-hmm. But I don't know very many scientists that are worth their salt that they're always beyond like what they actually can explain. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like what they're like, I mean, TSL, he talks about it is like, you know, whatever I can explain right now, I'm already way past that. It's like, this is kind of like the story of yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's like with any artist. I mean, it's like, you're always trying, you're always looking for what you can't understand and whatever you are able to explain and, and understand it's, it's already lost its splendor, you know, mm-hmm. for those who, it might be as, as like you and I are or something like discover that for the first time we get to exp- experience that splendor, you know, but at some point it just kind of fades and, and again, you know, maybe it comes back to what we first were talking about is like, you know, like who is your master? You know, it's like, it's like, it has to be something that's beyond yourself. Yeah. It has to be bigger and greater. It's not just science. It's something about discovering aspects of the world or yourself or how things work that, that draws you into that sort of, uh, I don't know, higher calling or a higher person or whatever it might be, you know, hmm. draws you to God, you know, Maybe that's a good place to end it. <laughs> Maybe so. I think this is the most like sort of like esoteric and uh, uh, all over the place we've been in a long time. I think we were actually past the shores. We were past the shores. We were more in the in the. <clears throat> we in were the, like at the in the at ocean. least the first sandbar. <laughs> first sandbar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe even trying to find the second and like kind of drowning a little bit and be like, when well, should we go back to the sandbar, stand up and breathe for a little bit? That's actually really great. That's a really great uh, analogy. That's definitely, uh, but it's good to go out there and, and play around out there, which is good. Cool. Well, thank you guys. We love you and see you next time. You said it. <laughs> All right. Cheers. 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 <laughs>